particular feelings about the Coliseum as a place to see baseball? Because my memory of it is that before the Raiders erected the monstrosity in center field, it wasn't a bad place to see a game. Oh, yeah, it was a it was a nice ballpark. That was back in what early nineties before Mount Davis was built. Um, the outfield was was it wasn't like a Kansas City Royal thing with the waterfalls and stuff, but it was still like a a nice pi- picturesque view. Um, yeah, and then Mount Davis comes in and it's just ugly. I mean, and then <clears throat> it's not taken care of well. So like locker rooms have leaks and like sewage is. Ugh is found in places and yeah, it's just a, a gross, gross building. <laughs> like even if the A's had the kind of ownership that would occasionally spend money on payroll, it's kind of hard to recruit players when part of your stadium pitches. Yeah. So do you like filth? Cause we got it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. It's, it's gross. I mean, and then, like, you're watching games on TV, and there's just nobody there. So even, like, the atmosphere, you can't go, oh, yeah, go for the atmosphere. The building's crap, but, you know, at least it's fun. Um, and it, it's nice that they're winning now, but it's still not the best environment. Yeah, and I think it sounds a little bit like it's coming out of the old White Sox playbook from the late 80s when they were trying to get a replacement for the old Comiskey Park here in Chicago. Because they let that park, uh, Reinsdorf and Einhorn, let that park pretty much go to pot from the second they got into it because they wanted to try to get the city to build them a new place. And so you kind of had the contrast of Comiskey Park and Wrigley Field, who were built within four years of one another. Wrigley Field in the mid-80s was still a very viable facility, and Comiskey Park was a urine-soaked dump. I mean, it was a urine-soaked dump with character, But that was because ownership let it get that way because they wanted a new place. And I guess the more things change, the more they stay the same in everywhere in baseball. Yeah, and it's a facility that has, you know, up until last year, it was the home of the Oakland Raiders, the Oakland A's, and the Golden State Warriors. Well, Golden State Warriors leave to go to Chase Center in San Francisco. The Oakland Raiders become the Las Vegas Raiders. And nobody wants to do anything with that property. It's right off the freeway. It's before you hit Oakland. Um, it's a it's a big chunk of land, but no one wants to invest in it. Um, hmm. I think, honestly, I think the A's did go into it originally, like years ago, wanting to stay in Oakland. But, you know, then they tried to get something going in Fremont, which is, you know, 30 minutes south of Oakland. Um they want San Jose, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but Major League Baseball and uh, the San Francisco Giants um, aren't letting that happen. The Giants own the territorial rights for it, which I think is freaking stupid. That Silicon Valley, billions and billions of dollars with companies, um, and Major League Baseball is locking themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just makes no sense whatsoever. It's kind um, of a and so now, yeah, it's it's penny wise, pound foolish, which is what MLB has been operating on almost since day one. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Dave Caval, the president of the Oakland A's, um, who I met when he was with the San Jose Earthquakes, the major league soccer team, and they were building their stadium because he would all, I work in construction during the day and he would always walk the property 
So he was always there. Um, but man, he made a bonehead move last week on Twitter when he was in Las Vegas for the Vegas Golden Knights playoff game. And he's talking about the atmosphere. Meanwhile, the A's are at home, a small crowd. Um, the crowd actually starts to hear, they see this on Twitter and they start to talk about him sucking basically with chance that they get going. I mean, wow. it's, it's honestly a, a clusterfuck of just move after move after move. That is just so wrong by the A's organization. They, we live in a time now where cities can't invest tons of money into major league or into ballparks. Um, these owners are all billionaires and it's not right for the city to actually take on this debt for these rich owners. So you have that in, in the world right now in this with uh, professional sports in the United States specifically. And then you have a president who just, man, I mean, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. Especially when Henderson, Nevada's, one of the rumored places they want to go to. Yeah, and uh, we will dig, dive deeply into that in just a second after the open. This is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 76, the Daniel Garibay episode. We're going obscure for this one of Three Strikes You're Out. My name is Ken Schultz, contributing writer to Outsports and Baseball Prospectus and stand-up comedian fully vaccinated. The other voice you are hearing on this particular episode is a familiar one to longtime listeners of the Outsports Podcast Network. The host of Level Playing Field is back on our airwaves. Randy Boos is joining us. Thank you for being here, sir. Thank you, and I am fully vaccinated as well. It is a happy damn day when that happens, isn't it? It, uh, it, is. it really is an amazing feeling when you get that second vaccine and you're like, wow, things are changing. Yeah. And I got mine in a Chicago grocery store called Mariano's. And it's like, I'm having an emotional moment in the Doritos aisle. Like the world is suddenly <laughs> opening up sponsored by Frito-Lay. But it is, it, it, it suddenly feels like all of a sudden, yeah, I can do the things that I've been waiting to do for a year and a half. I went out to my first Cubs game a week ago last Monday to welcome John Lester and Kyle Schwarber back. And like throughout the nine innings, I just had to kind of every... 20 minutes or so, just kind of take a moment and realize, oh my God, this is so great. Like I'm, I'm here. This, this is happening in front of me. And I guess to transition back into what we were discussing, that's what I hope continues happening for Oakland. Cause yeah, uh, I guess we'll uh, pick up where we left off. So are the A's owners flirting with Henderson, Nevada and the Las Vegas area? Like, is that as deliberate as it seems as a way to kind of twist the knife in Oakland right now to try to get that new ballpark? I think they just want to move fast. I think mm. they, uh, they know there's no chance in Oakland. Um, even before um, the president's blunder, Oakland's just not going to do it. They've lost the Raiders. They've lost the Warriors. And those are the two prime teams the A's unfortunately are not the top team in the Bay Area um they haven't won anything in a long time um not that the Raiders have either but it's football so professional football is always going to get the top uh billing um and then the Warriors leaving and there's just nothing they could do because the ownership wanted to go to San Francisco as soon as they bought the team 
Um, I just don't think the, the athletics are in a position to um, get anything out of Oakland. And I think it's just a, a done deal that they're going to move. The only yeah. thing I could see happening is them wanting them threatening to leave the Bay area um, to try to get San Jose. Um, that's the only reason why I think they're this vocal other than to move to Vegas. I mean, it worked out for the Raiders. So um, I, I just, I just don't think major league baseball strong enough to go against the giants ownership. Um, which for me, it's, it's stupid that they won't. Yeah, especially considering that the Bay Area as kind of, a, if you look at it in terms of total market size, uh, it's, I think, sixth overall among like all the major sports markets in the country when you consider both San Francisco and Oakland. And you would think, considering like Las Vegas is somewhere like either in the high 20s or low 30s, that you'd want to hang on to two teams in an area that's well into the top 10 in the country. But uh, again, yeah, as, as you say, the Giants, what the Giants have to say goes, and they are, I guess, the glamour team. But hell, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, what was it, 25 years ago when there was talk that they were about to move to St. Petersburg, the Giants were, which would have been the dumbest in retrospect if that yeah. had happened. Which is how they actually got the territorial rights for San Jose was with that move. Because the ownership for the A's back at the time, it was the Haas family, they... um basically gave it to the Giants um, because they wanted to to try to keep the Giants in town, but the Giants aren't doing the same thing. So, And you, you talk about the, the Bay Area media market. San Jose itself is the 11th largest city in the country. Um, the only professional sports team we have, we have the Sharks, professional hockey, and we have the um, Earthquakes. So we have the fourth and fifth top sports in the country, no other competition. Um, the only competition during the baseball season is really um, earthquakes since, you know, hockey plays at the other time. So it's, I, I just don't understand how no one can get this done. I grew up in San Jose, so I'm partial to San Jose. Um, but it, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I, I kind of wonder as you're describing that, that it kind of reminds me of back in the days when baseball was trying to get the team into Washington and Peter Angelos, the Baltimore Orioles owner really held tight to his claim that the DC area was part of Orioles territory and a, and a major part oh, of yeah. the He wasn't wrong necessarily. Like it's only, you know, that, you know, without traffic, which never happens in DC, but it's only about a 35 minute drive up the, up the highway from D.C. to Baltimore. And, and so I would assume that he got at least a decent amount of his attendance from that. And since the Nationals have moved in, the Orioles, outside of that maybe three or four years at the early part of the 2010s, have been shit and have drawn shit. And I kind of wonder if baseball looks at that and goes, well, maybe Peter Angelos might have been onto something, so we don't want to do that to the Giants. Yeah, but the funny thing about it is Oakland is right over the Bay Bridge. It's a couple right. miles away from San Francisco, San Jose at least is, you know, 45 minutes south. So it's not like it's creating a new team, like, uh, or I guess not creating a new team, but moving. Was it the Expos, was it? The Expos, yes. What? Um, yeah, so it's not like relocating a team out of the market to the market. It's This team's already here. Um, 
And then considering BART now connects the entire Bay Area almost, um, at least San Jose, Oakland, and uh, San Francisco, I think it would just help San Francisco if San Jose had the A's, you know? Because Giants fans are going to be Giants fans, regardless if you're in San Francisco, Oakland, San Jose, Santa Cruz. I mean, wherever it is, Giants fans are going to stay Giants fans. By giving the A's to San Jose, and I talk about this like it's going to happen, but it's not. Um, There's just no way it's going to happen. But giving San Jose a team in the American League, um, getting Apple, Google, um, VMware, uh, HP, Qualcomm, I mean, all these tech companies that that have homes, you know, within a certain distance of what could be a future uh, ballpark it it it's just my mind's blown that it it hasn't happened yet i mean the niners moved down here in santa clara which i I should remember um that they're also in santa clara which is just san jose's uh neighbor and if you ever been to the bay if you're ever in silicon valley you can drive you know 15 minutes and you've crossed four cities so um our freeways take us everywhere and we're sort of all linked together. So Santa Clara technically is, you know, Silicon Valley as well, but they're doing well too with getting money and, and keeping their own part of the market. Yeah. It's uh, if they move them to San Jose and they get like sponsorship from Silicon Valley, can we rename them the San Jose destruction of humanity? (laughs) Hey, we could. I mean, it's, Facebook's it's a, down here. Well, Facebook's in San yeah. Mateo, so. Oh, hell yeah. You put Facebook's name on a ballpark in San Jose, then you just have, like, scanners, and every woman who walks in gets a rating of 4, 4, 5, 10, 6, 1. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's bad. Uh, so, if the Oakland A's were to move to Vegas, um, I, I know that there's been – a talk that Raiders fans, some of them are keeping their allegiance with the Raiders, even though they moved. Would that be the same thing with A's fans? Or would that be kind of just the final step in the heart and people would say, go fuck yourselves? Um, I think some people would, especially the, the A's fan base is unique and they have a lot of people that have been A's fans for years. And, you know, they have their seats in the ballpark and they, everyone knows them and, and stuff like that. And I think those people might be hurt and they might leave. But I think there's some new people that that would keep their allegiance to the athletics and probably go to as many games since people don't go to the athletic games. Um, I think the interesting thing with the Raiders, though, is with professional football, you only have eight home games a year. Or what? Not eight. I'm sorry. Yeah, eight. Um, and so you can be an Oakland Raider fan in Oakland and make a book, a ticket and go to a Raider game that weekend that they're at home in Vegas. I mean, so you're, you're not missing out on a lot. Um, I just think baseball would be hard to do that way as well, but I think you would still get, you'd still get A's fans, you know, A's fans are everywhere. We've, you know, A's have talked about moving to San Jose. There's been talk about Portland, 
Um, now Vegas, I mean, we have a lot of cities on the West coast that the A's have been rumored to go to. So I guess, <laughs> I guess we have fans everywhere. And, and that also is a crucial point that, yeah, you'd have to try to fill 81 home games in Las Vegas in August when it's 20 million degrees out. Like, yeah, yeah people come in to tourists will always come into Vegas, but would anybody really be that interested in being outside in Vegas during that time, let alone going to a three-hour ball game? Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine it would have to be a dome stadium. Oh, yeah. Or at least one with the retractable roof, because no way you can you do July, August um, outdoors in Vegas during the day, especially even at night, it gets still warm. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how this this works out. I mean, yeah, it it's just the A's. It, it's <laughs> what we're used to. <laughs> a very chinatown reference all of a sudden now there forget <laughs> it jake it's just the a's yeah. <laughs> uh, and so i let's transition from this you know very depressing topic regarding the oakland baseball team to a much less depressing one which is how they're doing on the field like how are oakland fans reacting to the fact that they have a first place team that's getting upstaged by these relocation rumors I think it's it's still an interesting time with COVID. A lot of it's shut down. Bayer or California itself can't really open fully until June fifteenth. Um, so I think you still not see a lot of people in the stadium that are attending games. So I'm there's excitement there, but being an A's fan with uh, Moneyball, at least for me, and I'm a total A's fan. So sorry if I come across is negative i just <laughs> it's a rough time to be an A's fan but it's like moneyball it gets you a good record during the season but it doesn't build the team that you need for the postseason so the A's success during the season doesn't translate well in postseason and usually it's the first round that the A's are knocked out of you know um and i mean what A's are in first place a game up of Houston and you look at the stats for the teams and like the top batters batting 264. I mean, it's not like it's a, an high offensive team or, you know, it's, it's not a team that <laughs> produces excitement in the field. Um, but go A's. <laughs> <laughs> if I can isolate that as a sound clip and then play it at the Coliseum every time there's a rally, that would be perfect. You, you could be the A. You could be the A's rally monkey. Just, yeah, yeah. Go A's. Uh, and, and you're talking to, of course, a Cub fan who has extensive baseball fan experience in my pre 2016 self. So never apologize for being too negative. If anyone is familiar with that tendency of fandom. It is yours truly. And I lived in that for 36 years of my life. Um, and yeah. yeah, it is a, a salient point that this is a very, if not, you know, obviously hearkening back to directly what they built the Moneyball team around. It's a very Moneyball style team kind of. And it's, it's, it's a classic Oakland A's contender in that it's incredibly streaky with that one and seven start to the yeah. year, then popped by the 13 game winning streak. And they're picking off like one specific offensive skill set, which in this case, this year is slugging, where you have 
like home run threats up and down that entire lineup. And you just don't have a lot of other offensive yeah. skills to go with them. And it's been, you know, effective in that exactly. division so far, nothing else. But yeah, as you say, it probably needs something else to actually go farther once you play a super team in the postseason. Yeah, and the pitching's been doing pretty well for him. But once again, once you have that, you know, you only use your your first or second pitcher in playoffs, and and you don't, you just don't have a game that you have in the regular season. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. The the one guy that I think and kind then, of stands. I'm oh, sorry. Oh no, I was going to say, and then just going back to my whole negative A's fan <laughs> moment is, um, thanks. Thanks, by the way, for the ACE therapy today. I appreciate it. Glad to help. Yes. Talk, talk your feelings um, out. Where, where did Jose Canseco hurt you, hurt you Randy Boost? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the A's, it's, you know, we have these players that they're up-and-comers, they're looking good, um, and then you get them, they get traded. I mean, we're fortunate now where the A's haven't done that lately. You know, we still have Chapman and, and these guys that uh, – um, are producing and hopefully here for years and maybe with the threat of a new ballpark, they actually will have to keep these players around now. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's fun to watch the games. Don't get me wrong. I I'm, I'm watching more baseball this year than I have in, in previous years. Um, and I hope we can contend and I hope we can go far in the postseason. I mean, hell a world series, championship would be nice since the last one we had was in 89 with the giants um so i mean that's what i'm rooting for in this whole mess with the ownership we'll just see how it goes yeah it's uh and also it's not just you rooting for it but you're also the good guys in baseball for the entirety of the season because right now you're pretty much the only team in the ALS that's going to prevent the houston astros from getting to the post yeah <laughs> So you are fighting the damn good fight with this A's team right now. And if, and yeah. and honestly, it's also a play for revenge after how the playoffs ended last year when that shitty yeah. sub-500 Houston team caught fire and beat the A's team that won their first postseason series since, what, 2006? Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is a whole Michael Caine riding the steamroller revenge for Wanda scenario. Growing up, tons of 70s and 80s movies references. I know, today. seriously. It commemorates the last A's World Series winner is how I'll explain that. But but yeah, I mean, it, it is an A's team that is worth rooting for, not just in Oakland, but around the country. Because I don't want the Astros in the postseason until they get rid of that horrific tainted core that they've got right now. You brought up Matt Chapman, which is kind of interesting because he and Matt Olson have kind of switched baseball personalities this year. Where... In the past, it seemed like Matt Olson was the guy who would give you great defense and then power and nothing else. And this year, it seems like he's having a career year both with batting and on base thus far. And Chapman yeah. is really struggling with the bat, but obviously still killing it in the field. Yeah, but Matt Olson was supposed to be that guy that could do this. It's just taken him a while to get get going, I guess. I mean, but he's having a great year. He's leading a lot of stats for this team. Um and he's just fun to watch. I mean, for me, especially with the baseball season where, you know, it's 162 games and the three hours of baseball can be slow sometimes to have these personalities being able to come out and, uh, 
and or you know in bay area radio when they get interviewed and stuff like that it's just nice to see that he's being rewarded for you know the years he's been here and the few years he's been here and um just what he's doing this year i mean him and ramon and and a couple other guys who are really keeping this team like in first place um and it's just fun to watch yeah ramon laureano in particular seems like if he's putting it together the way his offensive numbers thus far might indicate, like he might be the most valuable player in the end on this A's team with that arm that yeah. he's always had and the great defense in center field. You add in, he's already got what, 10, 11 home runs and is getting on base at about a 350 clip at this point. That's an incredibly valuable person uh, to have on the team. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, there there is like a legit dangerous middle of the order core there for the A's. And I guess it's a question of, is there going to be the depth that they've had thus far? Is that going to show up over the course of 162? Or is Jed Lowry going to eventually regress to being Jed Lowry? Yeah. We're going to have to wait and see on that one. Yeah, and no one knows. but and, and it's not without precedent. And certainly, honestly, it's kind of how a lot of baseball stars are being made right now, that you're having guys emerge at the age Matt Olson is. What is he, like 28, 29-ish at this point now? Uh, I think he, let me see here. He is, yeah, 27. 27, okay, yeah. So you have at least a decent precedent given the way that the game is developing players where they're finding a guy's skills at the major league level and then kind of enhancing them. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. use, like, the example of Justin Turner, who had bounced around and had been, I think, released by the Mets and, uh, the Dodgers picked him up for like next to nothing and is now, you know, the centerpiece of that lineup. And I think has only really been a dangerous hitter since about 29 years old. So it could certainly be the case that maybe the A's found something with Matt Olson's swing this year and said, Hey, do more of that. And he might've taken the step up in terms of his development. And finally is kind of reaching his full potential with Oakland, which wouldn't that be a nice little kick? It would be, um, Looking over the batting averages, though, for the A's, I hope the uh, the batting coach doesn't mess with things too much because right now it doesn't seem like it's working out what he's doing. So, well, um, part of that is it's baseball in 2021, and the league batting average this year is 237. So, if you have, and the A's do have guys hitting, just looking at it in front of me, you know, 256 for Canna, 263 for Loriano. Those in 2021 are like legit good. And even like a number like Seth Brown, 232 in front of me, or Jed Lowry, 249, that's average. That's major league average hitting. That's not bad in 2021 as a batting average, which is weird to get your mind around, but it's just kind of the nature of every pitcher throwing 100 miles an hour and putting shit on the ball unless they get kicked out by Joe West like the Cardinals guy did last week. (laughs) Yeah, and then I was listening to some interview today on uh, KNBR the Bay area sports station or one of them. And they're talking to shoot. I forget who it was now, but they're just talking about, you know, back in the seventies, eighties, what they all put on the baseballs. I mean, (laughs) you think it's bad now, but like, I forget who it was. I wish I could remember the guy's name, but he was like, yeah, we used to put KY on it. You know, (laughs) it's like, it's the, yeah. I mean, it's funny with years and years of just amazing offense 
you know, whether it's steroids or the ball or just whatever the reason was. Um, it's funny to be in a time now where it's just the opposite. Yeah. I mean, stats are down. Um, what do you think that is though? Do you think, cause I know they changed the ball going into the season. Um, do you think that's a big part of it? Uh, it's definitely, yeah, plays a factor into it because the way baseball had kind of developed over the past three or four years, given the way that pitching is now, where, as I say, everybody's throwing at least 95 with those eh, somewhat aided breaking balls that they've got. Hitters had taught themselves to swing for the maximum amount of home runs at all times. And with the baseballs they had in play from like 2017, 2019, and 2020, which were ridiculously juiced, you were having balls leave the park at a record pace, and scoring was at a level that was perfectly fine. And that kind of covered up for low batting averages throughout the game. Now with this year and them deadening the ball, to try to get hitters, try to incentivize hitters to swing for something other than home runs. We're kind of in a transition phase. I think where some hitters are kind of figuring out how to work their way around shifted defenses and killer sliders and 95 mile an hour fastballs and find holes like, some of the Cub hitters are starting to do that better, and it's kind of happening sporadically throughout the sport. But a lot of guys are still swinging with nothing but the home run swing that they've taught themselves with balls that aren't leaving the yard at nearly the pace they did. So it's kind of, yeah, we're in a transition phase right now that I think is a big part of it, where hitters are still kind of figuring out how to, to solve this new puzzle of impossible pitching from like 1 through 12 on a pitching roster without the aid of a juiced ball kind of sparking their power. And yeah, it's going to probably be without any other changes. Uh, it's probably going to be at least another couple of years until it normalizes. Now I, I think there probably will be more changes because it seems like baseball is headed in that direction as a whole, but that's for another discussion down the road. Uh, but yeah, to, to as to how that applies to the A's it's, as I say, you know, the, the batting averages, when you just see them on paper without context, it's like, oh, yeah, this isn't going to fly. But given what what you see around the entire game, uh, yeah, some guys doing much better than you think they are. Yeah. You and, know, uh, <clears throat> you talked about, sorry, and this is going to change topics a little bit, and no. I should have asked if it was okay. Um, Bays had a doubleheader, like, I want to say about a month ago and um, I actually tweeted at you about it because it was the first doubleheader I've seen in years, but they did seven inning games. Now as a fan of um, soccer or football, depending on where you're from um, my formula one races that I like, they're all under two hours. Baseball is going above three. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you're not a fan of seven inning games, but don't you think the sport should look into um, shrinking the the game time a little bit in some way? It would certainly get rid of the talking points that baseball games take too long in an age where everybody is distracted. I, I think baseball, when it's played at its best, is kind of creates a self-contained world where if the game is really crackling and absorbing and there's a lot of action and balls in play, then you kind of lose yourself in terms of how much time is actually elapsing. And you kind of take the game's parameters for uh, 
the game's parameters kind of become your time, where you think of it in terms of this is, you know, two outs into the fifth inning as opposed to this is now a two-hour-long game. Um, mm. So it's I, – I still believe that it's a matter of adding more action within the context of the game itself and probably bettering the pace at a certain point too. Um, and then it won't be nearly as big a problem in terms of people concentrating in time of game. But, but yeah, I, I, I do think that they're to a degree – because so many people harp on the idea of baseball games being three and a half hours at a time where nobody has that time, that, yeah, it is something that, uh, that should be at least considered uh, from the standpoint of making sure it's not just baseball nerds like me that are tuning in. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, there, there are ways to better the game without chopping off two innings. Like, I'm, I'm hesitant to quote Bill James here because he's kind of uh, a crab at this point, but... I, I kind of agree with him when he says that the solution to the problems that are avail baseball is not getting rid of baseball. You, when you go to a baseball game, I want to see a baseball game. I don't, I don't want to see less baseball, you know? Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I mean, and, but it is also different when you're going to a game versus watching it on TV, going yeah. to a game, you have the atmosphere, you have a better picture of the game because you're able to see everything. And since baseball is so, focused on the ball you're able to see everything you're not missing out on anything um but it is when you're sitting at at home on tv and maybe you don't have the best home announcers or mm-hmm. or oh, yeah. maybe it's a, a national broadcast that you don't like their person um so having to listen to them for three hours and and while football has the perfect experience for the sport there's like 11 minutes of action in a football game but with replays and everything, the game is perfect for, for television. Baseball is definitely one that's better for in person. Yeah. Baseball's big advantage as a sport is also its biggest disadvantage as a business because it is much better in person than it is on TV. And it always will be. There are just, there are certain things you can't change about it. Uh, I do think, and uh, as we kind of head toward the wrap up here, I do think that what you're talking about is also kind of how they're going to pursue changes within the game that also might have an effect in terms of making pitching easier to hit for guys. Because I think one of the big reasons they want a pitch clock in addition to making the game faster and perhaps getting us closer to that two and a half hour time of game that they seem to think is the sweet spot is the reason why we have so many pitchers throwing 95 and above all the time is because they go max effort on every pitch. And they also, part of that involves taking 30 seconds in between each pitch to recover and then ramp up again. So if you have a 15 second pitch clock, all of a sudden you can't do that anymore. So maybe the consistent 95 mile an hour fastball goes down to like 92 ish or so 92, 93. And then all of a sudden you're able to get the better, the fat part of the bat on that better, more balls in play, more action. I think that's what the, their theory is, uh, whether it works in reality, I am not sure. Uh, but Randy, do you have anything to plug? Will I still have you here? No, nothing to plug. Uh, just I'm on Twitter <laughs> and <laughs> I will interact. I interact with you. I, 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 I do want to say uh, real quick though. Um, obviously as someone who came on from out sports podcast, when we originally launched um, the whole network, um, Dawn for me was a big part of it. Obviously she, she ran our, our podcast department, seeing her leave, um, 
last week and and uh she will be missed at Outsports for sure. But it's good that if you're on socials, you can still find her and see her contributing in a lot of different places, whether it's Forbes or or uh, her uh, YouTube stuff she does and all that stuff. So it's uh, she's going to be missed at Outsports, but definitely good for her for moving on up and, and getting bigger and better things. Yeah, I, I could not agree more with that. And uh, the Uber conference is going to cut us off before I have enough time to say what I feel like would be an appropriate tribute to Dawn. So I'll have to say co-sign to that and... She is the reason why I'm here on this network and on this website. And she's also, in terms of someone that I've worked with in a creative manner, the person who I feel like has gotten me the most. And Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you as someone who, you know, is in many lines of business between writing and comedy and freelancing, where you get rejection at every level all the time. It's just a matter, matter of this. And to find someone who is as encouraging, but also someone who could edit the hell out of your piece in such an intelligent, concise, and brilliant way. She's in a rarity, and it's mm-hmm. a shame that she's not affiliated with the site anymore, and I miss her terribly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I miss you too terribly on the network, Randy. So, it's, yeah, I'll end with the transition. How about that? It's, it's great to talk to you again, good sir. It's good talking to you too. And we'll end with it's the A's. Yeah. Another A season. <laughs> <laughs>